of grace, turning to 364, 346, I'm sorry, 346, which is a hymn about the Christian home. You might think, well, this is a strange hymn to start our worship service with about the Christian home. But the reason I picked it was as we come to Proverbs and read Proverbs 20 uh, this afternoon, when I was looking that proverb over, uh, what caught my eye was there in verse 7 where it says, The righteous man who walks in integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Dads, if you need a motivation to walk righteously, God's word says your sons will be blessed as they see you walk with integrity. So may God help us to be parents who live and walk with integrity in this world. So that's how I came about picking this hymn. I thought, what's a good hymn to sing? And that's where my eyes lit. So 346 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
Father, now as we seek to honor and glorify you rightly, we pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that our worship will be pleasing in your sight. Speak to us clearly by your word, we pray, that it will be spiritual food for our souls. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Proverbs 20, as Calvin mentioned, is our chapter for today. Um, For some reason it came into my mind to look up how many occurrences of God's old covenant name, Yahweh, uh, occur in the book of Proverbs, and it was surprisingly how many there were, 70 or 80, I forget now. But there's a whole nest of them here right in chapter 20. So uh, we'll take our topic, proverbial topic of theology, uh, and just highlight these verses before we read the entire chapter. Um, Yahweh occurs, by the way, (laughs) the nice thing about the new, uh, I call it new, it's not real new, but the Legacy Standard Bible uses uh, the name Yahweh spells it out so you can do a search on the name Yahweh now instead of uh, capital L-O-R-D. Anyway, uh, verse 10 is the the first occurrence of that. I just scrolled off screen here. Divers weights and divers measures. Both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. So we see to Yahweh. We see that God is very concerned about our uh, workplace ethics, marketplace ethics, a a stone and a stone, uh, ephah and ephah, varying these in our business practices is abomination. He detests it is another way of saying it. Verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, Yahweh, has made both of them. Are you a Christian? You're a Christian because Yahweh gave you a seeing eye and a hearing ear. It is by grace. It is uh, the gift of God. Verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Hope in Yahweh and he will save you. Vengeance is mine, in other words, thus Uh, saith the Lord. So wait on the Lord for vengeance. 23, there's three in a row here. Uh, Differing weights are an abomination to Yahweh and a deceitful balance is not good. Isn't that remarkable? Two verses in in the same chapter with the same topic. God is underlining this. Businessmen and women Verse 24, the steps of a man are from Yahweh. How then can man understand his way? There are other Proverbs that tell us that man makes his plans, uh, but God directs his steps. How can we know uh, ultimately our way? Uh, Yahweh does. And there's great comfort in that, that our steps, I think one of the versions, I forget which one, says our steps are ordained by Yahweh. So he has 
an eternal plan. God does have a wonderful plan for your life, Christian. The breath of man, verse 27, the last one, the breath of man is the lamp of Yahweh searching all the innermost parts of the body. Here I believe we're speaking of man's conscience. His God consciousness is God's lamp. You know right from wrong, uh, even the natural man has a conscience and he knows uh, right from wrong. And this searches our inward parts. David in Psalm 51 says, You desire truth in the inward parts. Do not be uh, dishonest uh, with yourself. Even a hypocrite uh, is what it's talking about. And just a natural segue to verse 30. This isn't a Yahweh verse, but it is a verse about the innermost parts of the body. And it says there are stripes that wound scour away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts of the body. So here's two things. You can either listen to your conscience and do what's right, or you can ignore that and stripes are waiting for you. You will get your beating. Verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The NIV has wine and beer, interesting enough. None of the other versions uh, have, well, I only read eight of them. None of the other ones uh, use beer, but I guess it does. The NET mentions that it does refer to barley beer, but it, it, it's not a prohibition against alcohol use, but it is a stern warning that it can lead you astray and does many. The terror of a king is like the roar of a lion. He who provokes him to anger sins against his own soul. It is glory for a man to cease quarreling, but any ignorant fool will break out in dispute. The sluggard does not plow from winter on, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of discernment draws it out. Many a man will call out his own loving kindness, but a faithful man who can find. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are an abomination to Yahweh. It is by his deeds that a young man makes himself known if his conduct is pure and right. Even young children manifest uh, their hearts by what they do. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, Yahweh has made both of them. Do not love sleep, lest you become poor. Open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with food. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes his way, then he boasts. There is gold and an, and an abundance of pearls. The lips of knowledge are a more precious jewel. 
might be a hint there of the symbolism of the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. Who knows? Take his garment when he becomes a guarantor for a stranger, and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Bread obtained by lying is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Another marketplace proverb. Thoughts are established by counsel. So make war by guidance. Had very good guidance in Sunday school this morning, didn't we? He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one of loose lips. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in the midst of darkness. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning in the end will not be blessed. Do not say, I will repay evil. Hope in Yahweh and he will save you. Differing weights are an abomination to Yahweh, and this deceitful balance is not good. The steps of a man are from Yahweh. How then can man understand his way? It is a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy, and after then vows to make inquiry. A wise king winnows the wicked and turns the threshing wheel over them. Another uh, good reminder of the purpose of government is to put down evil. Verse 27, the breath of man is the lamp of Yahweh, searching all the innermost parts of his body. Loving kindness and truth are two twin pillars of salvation, mercy and truth in the old King James. Loving kindness and faithfulness, trustworthiness, some of your versions have. Loving kindness and truth will guard the king, and he upholds his throne by loving kindness. Loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, the covenant love. The honor of young men is their strength, and the majesty of old men is their gray hair. Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts of the body. Take the Trinity hymn book and turn to number 674. 674, Holy Bible Book Divine. Let's stand as we sing.
regard to the tongue and the use of the tongue and taming the tongue, but I decided I've probably gone as far as I am for right now with regard to that topic, and so as I prayed and considered about what we should consider in this afternoon service, where my number one goal is just keeping you awake long enough to stay with me, all right? And I thought about what might be a good topic for us to consider. So you can take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel 15. This is not a series of messages. It's just one message from the life of David. It comes at probably one of the lowest times in his life. And I know for myself and in some ways my family as well as some of you that this past year has been a bit of a lot of calamity and a lot of things that were difficult. And then I step back and I say, well, as difficult as it's been, there's brethren who've gone through far worse. When we pray for the persecuted church on Wednesday night and we hear what's going on in other places, I think my calamity is not all that bad, even though I will confess that at times has been difficult. And at times, I must confess, I'm not sure how well I did in trying to get through it in a God-pleasing way. But nevertheless, in light of that, I thought I'd look at a brother who went through calamity and how he responded to it so that I might learn from it. And so David's the man I lit upon. So here in 2 Samuel chapter 15, I want to begin reading at verse 13, and we'll read down through around verses 33 or 34. Then a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Then the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. So the king went out and all his household with him. But the king left ten concubines to keep his house. And the king went out and all the people with him, and they stopped at the last house. Now all his servants passed on beside him, all the Cherethites and the Pelicites and the Gittites, 600 men who had come with him from Gath, passed on before the king. And then the king said to Hittai, the Gittite, Why will you also go with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner, also an exile. Return to your own place. You came only yesterday, and it, sh- it and shall I today make you wander with us while I go where I will? Return and take back your take back your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. But Hittai answered and said to the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely wherever my lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. Therefore David said to Hittai, 
go and pass over. So Hittite, the Gittite, passed over with all his men and with all the little ones who were with him. And while the whole country was weeping with a loud voice and all the people passed over, the king also passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over towards the way of the wilderness. Now behold, Zadok also came, and the Levites with him, carrying the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar came up until all the people had finished passing from the city. And the king said to Zadok, Return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again. And show me both it and its inhabitations. But if he should say, Thus I have no delight in you, behold, I am here I am. Let him do what seems good to him. And the king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, your sons Ahimaz, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. And see, I am going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar returned the ark of God to Jerusalem and remained there. And David went up the, up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. And his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. And... It happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped that behold, Hushai the Arshite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, If you have passed over with me, then you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in times past, so I will now be your servant. Then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel before, before me. We'll stop our reading there. As I mentioned, this is probably one of the lowest points in David's life. His own son Absalom had turned against him. And there are a few things that are more distressful than to have your own children turn away from you. I remember years ago, someone gave me this counsel. And I think I've told you this before, but it is a counsel that has stayed with me throughout these many years. And he said to me, no matter what comes into my life, if I have two things in my possessions, I think I can get through it. And those two things were, if I have a good conscience before God, 
And he said, and if I have my family, I could think I can get through anything. Well, David has lost a son. He's betrayed him. He's a traitor. And David has to flee because his own son wants to see him dead. A.W. Pink writes, David was called to leave the lowly plains of Bethlehem to participate in the honors of Saul's palace. From tending the flock, he became the conqueror of Goliath, the popular hero of Israel. But soon Saul's friendship changed to enmity. And David had to flee for his life. And for many weary months he was hunted as a partridge on a mountain. Subsequently, his fortunes were again greatly altered. And from being an outcast, he was crowned king of Israel. Then he was enabled to capture Jerusalem, the stronghold of Zion, which became the city of David. There he established his court, and thither he brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the voice of trumpets. But now, talking about the passage that I read, but now we are to behold him fleeing from Jerusalem, being separated from the holy ark, a fugitive once more in humiliation and deep anguish. He's gone from being king and a hero to now in the midst of calamity and anguish. And seeing this in the life of David reminds us that as believers in this world, we can't always expect everything to run smoothly. We can't believe that we're always to live, no matter what some may say, a, quote, prosperous life. There are trials in this world. There are difficulties that we must walk through. There are hardships. There are calamities. The believer is not to be at home in this world. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14 says, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. And even our Lord Himself says, In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Peter tells his readers in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, let us not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though it was some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be surprised when you go through trials as though that was something very strange. You will have trials in this world. 
And so as we look at this passage, and I just want to go through several points with two main points in mind, but I won't take a great deal of time. I think I can do it with just simply setting these truths before you. The first thing I want you to notice with me from our text or from our passage was the nature of David's calamity. The nature of David's calamity. As we come to this experience of David's life, we note several things concerning the difficulty that David now faces. First of all, he faced the treachery of his son. He faced the treachery of his son. We read there in verse 13, The hearts of men of Israel are with Absalom. And we read on that we need to flee because he desires to overtake us and bring us down with with the edge of a sword. Now, he didn't simply wake up one day and find out that Absalom was after him. But in all likelihood, this this was going on for a period of about four years. Four years. And how painful it must have been for David to now have to deal with the treachery of his own son. This is not some enemy from a foreign country. It's his flesh and blood that wants to see him dead. The second thing we see is that he faced the betrayal of his people. David loved the people of Israel. David unselfishly served the people of Israel. And now many are deserting him and choose to follow his son. Can you imagine hearing those words? The heart of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Are with Absalom. They've joined with Absalom in seeking your end, David, or at least seeing your reign come to an end. And again, we're reminded of the fickleness of men. One day he's their hero, and the next day they've turned their backs on him and followed after someone else. It's a sad scene that we have here. Third thing we notice, he is faced with the reality of his destruction and death. He's faced with the reality of his destruction in death. Arise, verse 14, and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, for he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of a sword. David is in the midst of facing death. Looking death in the face. The uncertainty of his life. David is is not fleeing because he's a coward. In all likelihood, he's around 60. And at this point, I can speak from experience, he doesn't have the health and strength that he once had. 
And he finds himself fleeing for his life. But then fourthly, David is faced with the truth of his own sin. David is faced with the truth of his own sin. What David is now experiencing is no doubt the result of his past sins. And while his sins are forgiven, their consequences still linger. And he experiences this calamity of having his own family turn away from him and now the kingdom taken away from him. If you go back to chapter 12, when Nathan approaches David, we see what Nathan says to David is now being fulfilled. He's making preparations to leave. And perhaps as he's packing up, and perhaps as he's heading out, his mind travels back to the day when he gave in to his own lustful passions. And on that day, he never gave any thought to the consequences that would then follow. That that day when he looked down at Bathsheba at a time when kings go off to war and he thought just a momentary glance, just the enjoyment of looking upon this woman and then finding my lustful passions to go after her that would even lead to her husband's death and the death of a child David was not thinking on that occasion, but look down the road and see what's the consequences of the actions that you're now taking for that momentary pleasure he faced long-term consequences. And he's reminded of that reality as he's packing his bags and fleeing from Absalom. David is experiencing what could be described as everything is falling apart in my life. The great king is now scrambling around, throwing a few things in a bag and preparing to flee from his own son. Now, after all these years, he's on the run again. That's where we find David here in this passage. But I want you to notice with me how David responds to all this. All eyes are upon David to see how he's going to react to these things. What's David's response to these things? Does he simply give up? Does he simply throw up his hands? Does he simply cast off God? Does he walk away from God? Does he sit in a corner and sulk? Does he find himself in the midst of depression and despair? How is David going to react? And I say here, David is an example for us to follow 
when we find ourselves going through calamity and difficulty and trying circumstances. We witness His response, His reaction in this passage, which I think can serve as a good model for us to follow. In verse 23, we're told that the king passed through the brook Kidron. It was aptly named for it comes from the word dark or unclean. The brook ran on the east side of Jerusalem and into this brook continually emptied the sewage of the city and the filth from the temple sacrifices. You see, this this brook foreshadowed something of what David was now going through and it's even a foreshadowing of what Christ Himself will one day go through because in John 18.1, Christ crossed the same brook before He was betrayed by His disciples. But I want you to notice four ways in which David responds to this calamity. First of all, David humbly submits to the sovereign hand of his heavenly Father. He humbly submits to the sovereign hand of his heavenly Father. Notice especially there in, in verse 25. Zadok shows up and he's got the Ark of the Covenant with him. And it's more like, okay, hey, I brought this out with me. We can take this with us. And, and what does David say? Take that back. I, I'm not dependent upon a piece of furniture. I understand what it represents, but, but I'm not going to use that as an instrument of superstition. God chose Jerusalem to be the place where the Ark of the Covenant was to rest. And there's where it will stay. But then he goes on. And he says, verse 25, The king said to Zadok, Return the Ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then He will bring me back again and show me both it and its His inhabitation. But if He should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let Him do to me what seems good to Him. Wow, that's quite a testimony. For a man that's fleeing on the run, whose own son has betrayed him, David says, I'll trust in God. He's in control. And if he's pleased to bring me back, good. If he delights and shows me favor and that happens, good. But if he doesn't, then let him do what seems good to him. Notice he said, let him do what I think he ought to do. He says, let him do what is good to him. You know, sometimes God takes us through deep waters because it's there that we learn lessons that otherwise we may not learn. 
Sometimes God takes us through calamity because in the midst of that calamity, we recognize all the more our dependence upon God. If God prospers us well and good, but oftentimes, remember in our study of Deuteronomy, God told the people, you better be careful because once you are living in cities that you did not build, and once you enjoy the, the, the fruits of trees that you did not plant, and once you begin to drink from wells you did not dig, and once you eat and are satisfied, there's a real temptation that you will forget God. And never you found that to be true? When do you most desperately cry out to God? When things are going well? Or when you don't understand what in the world's going on and why you're going through this. And can we say with Job, Yea, Lord, even if you slay me, I will trust in you. And so David humbly submits to the sovereign hand of his heavenly Father. Secondly, he diligently is applying himself to efforts which would better his present situation. He diligently applies himself to efforts which would better the present situation. Well, wait a minute. I thought you were trusting the sovereign hand of God. He is. If God's pleased to do this, if he believes it's good, I will trust in him. But that doesn't take away the responsibility of making efforts to help in the present situation. Submitting to the sovereign hand of God does not mean I set back and do nothing. David makes plans. You notice he tells... Uh, <clears throat> He, he tells Abiathar to take the ark back. He makes plans there in verse 30. So David went up and ascended to the Mount of Olives and wept as he went and his head was covered and he walked and barefoot and then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. And it happened that as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, that he beheld Hushai, the archite, and met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, If you passed over me, then you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been this father's servant in times past, so I will now be your servant. Then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel for me. He said, I got this plan. He says to Hushai, if you stay here, you're not going to do me a lot of good. Here's, I want you to go back. I want you to sit there and tell Absalom, as I served your father, I'm going to serve you. And then you listen. I mean, he's got, he's got these counselors. Ahipothel would, would be considered a very wise counselor. It would be like choosing up teams for a basketball game 
and, and, and there in the lineup is LeBron James, and you say, okay, I want that guy. I want him on my team. And that would be what it would be like. I want to hit the field to be my counselor. And if I got you who's shy there, you, you can be used to sort of keep me informed what's going on. And, and, and so he makes this plan. He doesn't sit back and do nothing. David makes a plan. He's not passive. He takes definite steps in dealing with his present circumstances. While he's completely submissive to God's sovereignty, he still uses his head and he's still engaged in activities. And so he diligently applies himself to the effort which would better his present circumstances. Thirdly, he boldly approaches God in the midst of trial. He boldly approaches God in the midst of trial. Someone tells David that Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And what does David do? What's his response? Look at verse 31. What does he do? And David says, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. Foolish, foolishness. David immediately shoots a prayer to God. Please let his counsel be foolish. He prays. He seeks God's face. And we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, remember? The question was asked as we see what's going on around us. You know, what happens? What happens if proposal three passes? What are we going to do? Are we going to sit back and say, well, God is sovereign. He's got a plan. I don't understand. Why did you, why did you allow this to happen, God? Or, or is that going to cause us to all the more fall on our knees and say, Lord, all the more the gospel needs to go forth for the sake of the unborn even. The gospel needs to go forth. And we cry out to God all the more. And we seek to share the gospel with others. But as we look around us and we see all that's going on, the lawlessness, the confusion, the uncertainty, the immorality, the evil, the wickedness. Do we give ourselves to prayer? To prayer. And I have a little concern when, when so many professing believers talk about the, how terrible our society and our culture is and all the evil we see around us, and yet what is the least attended meeting of the church? Prayer. David reminds us in time of calamity, we better be praying. That ought to mark our lives. So as, as this church meets on Wednesday night to pray, <clears throat> we ought to take seriously those times that we miss. And I'm not saying there aren't providential hindrances. I understand all that. But sometimes I have this sense, well, if nothing else comes up, we'll go to prayer meetings. We need to pray and seek God's face. And then fourthly and finally, in the midst of his calamity, we find David reverently worshiping God whom he trusts. Reverently worshiping God whom he trusts. Verse 32. And it happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshiped 
that behold, and then Shushai comes to him. <clears throat> Even in the midst of trial and distress, he had a heart that was focused on worship. On worship. Matthew Henry says, Weeping must not hinder worshiping, but quicken it rather. Have you heard that? Weeping should not hinder us from worship. It ought to quicken us. It ought to bring us to worship with a sense of enthusiasm. We're going to meet with God. We're going to worship Him as a body of Christ locally assembled. We are here to worship our God and to remind ourselves of who God is. So even, even for example, this morning... Even in the worst of calamities and the hardships that we go through this morning is as we looked at the wrath of Almighty God, the judgment that will come upon the wicked, it reminds us that this calamity may be difficult, but I'm never going to experience that wrath because of God's grace, how I ought to give Him praise. <laughs> See how that works? I don't understand why I'm going through this. It is hard. And to be honest with you, I've asked God, why? What do you want to teach me? Relieve me of some of this pain. And he hasn't. And then I gather with God's people. And I'm reminded who God is. And I think of his grace and kindness. And and I'm brought to be reminded of his wrath. His terrible judgment that will fall upon the wicked. And I've got every reason to praise God, even in the midst of those hardships. And so, whatever God may take us through, whatever the future may hold, may God help us to respond in a way that is pleasing in His sight. And in the midst of going through it, to get through it in a way that brings glory to Him and honor to Him. And so may God guide us through it. And then may we get to the other side and say, as we sang this morning, it's by grace that I've gotten this far. And it's by grace I'll be led home. Well, let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us this time together. We thank You for the timeliness of Your Word and the examples that You give us in Your Word. And Father, how we pray. As some have gone through some very dark periods, some real hardships and calamities, some things that they don't understand, May David's response be an encouragement to us on how we need to respond. And through that, you may be glorified. So, Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would guide us, so that we would be a people that are pleasing in your sight. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, let's take the Trinity hymn book and turn to 501, 501.
Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. 501, Trinity Hymn Book. Good day in the house of the Lord. You are dismissed.